The glory of God is misunderstood, underpreached, seldom walked in. But it was the first thing that God ever gave us. The Bible tells us, talking about the glory of God, Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus was, uh, was the brightness of His glory, the glory of the God, and the expressed image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power. We understand the power of what Jesus gave us access to. He gave us access to the glory of God. We do a quick review from last week. Numbers chapter 14. We talked about this in depth. God was talking to Moses. And he said these words to Moses. Numbers 14 verse 20. Then the Lord said to him. I have pardoned according to your word. But you, get, you need to get this. As truly as I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. In other words he was letting Moses know. Moses I hope that you're a part of it. But I got news for you. Whether you like it or not. It has nothing to do with whether you agree with it or not. It is my will that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. Why does God desire for the whole earth to be filled with the glory of God? Why, when, when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6 that we talked about last week, saw the temple of God and said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Then he goes on to describe the, the seraphim, the cherubim, angels that are flying around, and, and what they're saying. And the Bible says, they cried one to another. They faced each other, cried one another, and said, Holy Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And then they said, and the whole earth shall be filled with His glory. It's a pattern that the God makes it known that it is His will that the whole earth be filled with His glory. The reason God wants the whole earth to be filled with His glory is that He wants to walk with man in every corner of this earth. And He walks where His glory is. I know He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. I'm telling you, you can't get away from God. You can't hide from God. I'm not preaching some kind of heresy that says that God only goes where he's being praised. I'm not talking about where he goes. I'm talking about his favor. I'm talking about miracles. I'm talking about the, the great commission being fulfilled. That happens in the midst of his glory. So if the whole earth is filled with his glory, then he is, he has, there's nothing restraining him from doing what he wants to do. Am I preaching good already? Say amen. amen. Whoo. And we talked about last week too. I got to set this up. I got to tell you this and remind you. If you were here last week, you need to be reminded. If you wasn't here last week, you need to know this. So the, the, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. There, on, the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, right on the top in the middle, what did we teach you last week? What's sitting on top looking at each other? Two cherubim angels. And they have, they have wings that, that they go over like this. And those wings on both sides touch each other. Right in the middle, they barely touch each other. And you remember what I told you that's known as? What's it called? The mercy seat. Thank you, brother. The mercy seat. It's called the mercy seat because you can't have God without mercy. And that meant that's where he came and had mercy on us when we didn't even really deserve it. But when the, when the angels would touch, and they would, it, this, what, it, what it really was, was a golden uh, recreation of of what Isaiah saw around the temple. Because the Bible said the angels touched and agree. And, and the Bible, it blew my mind the first time I read this. If you go back and read Isaiah chapter 6, it says, And the angels cried to one another. 
They said to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They were reminding each other. They were touching in agreement with each other. Remember what the Bible says, where two or three touch and agree. Whatever they ask here on this earth shall be done to their Father which is in heaven. There's something about when somebody just touches and agrees with somebody. Not just that they're going to have a good day, but that the Word of God is true. That God is God and there is no other God. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by Him. When we touch and agree on those kind of things, whatever we ask of God, it shall be done. So we see the Ark of the Covenant is an exact replica of the environment in which God exists on the throne. He's sitting on the throne with angels, constantly going back and forth, saying those things that Isaiah saw. And God said, if I'm going to come down there, and if I'm going to sit, if I'm going to have mercy on you and sit in a place where, where you don't even deserve for me to sit, then I'm going to have to at least come in an environment replicated of which I exist and in which I move. Amen. So that's what the mercy seat was. And the mercy seat was the place where his presence came. See, that's why we have church. That's why we have church. That's why the Bible says no man is an island. Because one can chase a thousand. But two can chase ten thousand. You see how quick it jumps? One can, if one can chase a thousand, it makes sense that two can chase two thousand. Because one can chase a thousand. But God says, no, here's how the power of agreement quickly escalates in the spirit realm. One by themselves can fight a thousand demons. You get you one other person, just one other person to touch and agree with you, you can fight ten thousand demons. Are y'all hearing me? So when you're trying to do it on your own, trying to do your life with God on your own. Now we got this whole generation of people that says, I don't need the church. I am the church. So I'll do God my way at my house. And, and I'll watch Christian TV and I'll just, listen, I know you ain't got to be in church to, to get saved. But if you want to stay on fire for God, if you want to find out who you are in God, if you want to walk in victory, you better find you a church. You better find you a pastor that's going to speak into your life. And you better come up underneath the wings of the cherubim. Because that's where the mercy seat is. When we touch and agree, we begin to sing. It creates an environment. The first thing on your notes is this. We need the gathering of the church because it produces an atmosphere of glory. Woo! There's an atmosphere of glory in this place. I'm getting a little drunk up here. Woo! Some of y'all new folks that ain't never been around nothing like this. Y'all just wonder, what did he just say? Did he just say getting drunk up here? That's called being drunk in the Holy Ghost. There's some, there's some stuff being, being served right now. Heavenly wine. <laughs> My God. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. We in the New Testament. How many of those, when you get drunk, you start hearing things that nobody else can hear? Mm. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? Everybody look at you like, what? What are you talking about? You crazy? Y'all didn't hear that? You start seeing things. You be like, do y'all see that? You start seeing things that nobody else can see. I tell you, when you get drunk, you start feeling like you can fight people ten times as big as you. Little pipsqueak walk up to Hulk Hogan and say, you looking at me? You look, I didn't say, you, you looking at me? Let's go outside right now. How, how many of those? And you're about to get your tail whooped. But at that moment, you don't know because you're drunk. And that's the devil's pathetic imitation of what I feel right now. I feel like I'm, I'm like David. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Amen? 
That's what happened. David got drunk and he's just like, I don't need none of y'all. I go fight the whole place by myself. Because I'm drunk. We need to gather in the church because it produces the glory of God. See, in the New Testament, you say, well, that's Old Testament. New Testament said, watch what New Testament said about the same thing. Ephesians 5.19 says this, speaking to one another. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're supposed to sing to God and worship Him, but we're supposed to sing together. Somebody shout together. Mm. See, see, here's the thing, man. The, the glory is, is an atmosphere in which God can move and work. Not an atmosphere that, that says He can be there. He's everywhere. But I'm talking about the hand of God moving in our midst. Blinded eyes open. Lame walking. Marriages put back together. Kids delivered from drugs. God does not operate His miracles. Listen to me. Outside of an atmosphere of glory. Now, sometimes the atmosphere of glory is generated simply by faith. How many of you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed? You can say into a mountain, be thou moved and be thou cast into the sea, and it must happen, right? But what happens is when you speak to that mountain, you are declaring, you are coming in agreement with his word. And when you come in agreement with His Word, you are touching an agreement with all those that wrote the Word, spoke the Word, and preached the Word. And that creates an environment that moves the hand of God. Because faith moves God. But the glory is the atmosphere in which He can take what He's being moved to do and carry it out. I'm telling you, I'm going to go somewhere with you. I don't preach unless I can back it up. You know, an astronaut trains and trains and trains and trains. And he gets in the, he, he puts on a, on a diving suit and he goes into water because it's the only thing that we can somewhat simulate gravity. And they have to learn how to operate outside of the environment in which they were created to operate in. So, so you know, they can't breathe underwater, so they have to have oxygen. And that teaches them that when you get in that spaceship and you're locked down, you're still in the Earth's atmosphere. You can literally take that helmet off inside that spaceship and breathe freely. But when you start hearing T minus 10, 9, you better not be having a casual conversation with your brother without a helmet. Because when they hit zero, how many of that thing going to start rocking? And in just a few seconds, you're going to leave your atmosphere and move into another atmosphere in which you are not created to exist. So you can't breathe there. So you have to have on another suit. See, let me tell you something. God can operate anywhere he wants to. But you need to understand something about earth. Earth is different than space. Earth is different than, than, than the galaxy. Because it is on earth that God said, let us make man. In our image and in our likeness. And let us give them dominion over this whole place. Everything that happens in this place, I am releasing to them to give permission for it to happen. So God says, in order, my, my glory is everywhere because angels are glorifying me everywhere. But in order for me to carry out and walk out and do what I want to do on that earth, because I'm not a man that I should lie, and I am bound by my word, I need man to give me glory and create an atmosphere of which I move in that is an atmosphere beyond their atmosphere, but they are the only ones that have the dominion to create it. 
Oh, y'all ain't getting this. This is so deep, y'all ain't getting it. That's why the Bible says, he told Job, he's, when Job's gripping and complaining, he said, Job, where were you at when I, when I formed the mountains? Where were you at when I drew the lines? Where were you at when I set the foundation of all of this? So that's one thing for him to say that. But right in the midst of it, he tells Job, go back and read it. He says, in the days that the sons of God began, and the sons of glory began to give praise and honor. And he starts talking about, in different translations, say it in different ways. But it's basically saying, when all that was being created, it was being created out of an environment of which I had sent my angels ahead of me. And they created and praised and created an environment just like around the throne. And I was able to walk in to that environment in which they created and say, let there be light. And it had to happen. Because it was my, my atmosphere. See, when we were in the garden, we were in a earth suit. How many knows this is what this... The lungs, all this stuff that's made together, this amazing thing called the human body. How many of those? It's an earth suit. All of it works together and enables us to live and survive in this environment. Right? But how many of those on this earth, there's water? If you jump in the water and go under the water, you can hold your breath for just a little bit. But it don't take long for you to realize that that is not the environment you were created in. When you, you get in an airplane... And you're flying 30,000 feet above. It may make you think that you were, hey, this is cool. I'm breathing just like it down there. The only reason you're breathing is because that plane is pressurized and giving you oxygen. The moment the pressurization leaves that plane, you're dead in a matter of seconds. Because you're not created to live up there. Are you hearing me? So when, when man was walking around on earth in the Garden of Eden, he did not know he was naked. Why? Because on top of his earth suit, that was created from the dirt of the earth, that God fashioned man out of the dust of the earth and gave him an earth suit and said, because you came out of the earth, I'm going to fashion you out of the earth, and the earth is going to sustain that suit. But in order for you to be with me, you've got to have another suit. Man was not a living soul until God said, I'm going to call the real you out of me. Because the real you, the only environment that can sustain you is me. So he spoke to himself and breathed his breath into that clay figure and man became a living soul. But it wasn't just that man became a living soul. Every fiber of his being was engulfed with the glory of God. So the glory of God covered up the earth suit. So they didn't compare earth suits. They didn't know they were naked. They didn't look at each other and say, hey, hey, you're different. Nothing like that. All they knew was that God had made them the way they were. Their main focus when they were in the glory of God was God. And God could come down, the Bible said, and walk with them, just like I'm walking with you right now, without any issue. Talk with them, have a casual conversation. Until the day that they chose. That's why he said, you don't eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What it was, it, it, they didn't get it, but what he's trying to say is, if you eat of this tree, you'll lose one of your suits. And when you lose that suit that you're going to lose when you eat of this tree, because the only one that really knows the knowledge of good and evil is, is me. Therefore, that's my tree. That's my fruit. And if you ever eat of that tree, you're telling me you don't need me. You've got this thing. And the moment you do, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have this thing. You're going to die. And we know the story. They ate of the fruit. They didn't fall over dead, did they? But you know what they did immediately? The Bible said immediately they were ashamed. Because they knew that they were naked. Because the moment that they chose their own way, they created their own environment. Amen. 
And instead of walking with them in the cool of the day and having casual conversation with them, the next thing you hear from God is, where are you? When you are not in the glory of God, you will hide from God. You will do your own thing. They were hiding in the bushes. Who told you you were naked? And you, go, you know the story. I've preached it a thousand times here. They start trying to cover themselves because they know they are, they're supposed to be covered. Because they were created covered. But they lost their covering because they allowed their conversation to no longer be with just Adam and Eve reminding each other, looking at each other every day going, my God, don't we have it good? The earth is full of His glory. Ain't God good? Oh man, I can't wait for Him to come down and talk to us again. They went, they, they stopped listening to each other, reminding each other of a, who God was, and they started listening to a snake. Is this good preaching? And I'm going to tell you, whoever, listen, this ain't in my notes, this wasn't in first service, you might want to write this down. Whoever you hang around with the most will create the environment in which you exist. I'm going to say it again. When you allow people in rebellion, people who are not where they need to be with God, to be a force of influence in your life, you, have, you will allow yourself to walk in an environment of offense. You will walk in an environment that is outside of the glory of God. And you will wonder why God is not doing it for you the way He's doing it for someone else. Mm. I tell you what. The glory of God is continuously being produced in heaven right now because nonstop they're giving Him glory. So anything God wants to do in heaven, He, he has free reign to do. He has free reign to do anything He wants to do anyway. I have to be careful with my words here so people don't twist my word. But what I'm trying to say is there's no mistake about it. There's no, there's no 24-hour clock, but the only way we can understand it here on this earth is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365.25 a year. That way we can get leap year in. Non-stop worship. The glory of God. I remember, my goodness, I'm, I'm getting on a rabbit trail that I can't afford. But I remember one time, Jesse Duplantis, you ever heard of Jesse Duplantis? Jesse. The raging Cajun. Jesse Duplantis had a vision, took him to heaven. And I ain't going to tell you the whole, it was unbelievable. You need to, you need to YouTube it and, and watch it. It's incredible. God took him out of his body and in the spirit realm, just like what happened to John in Revelation, took him to heaven. I'll never forget it. He describes as he's approaching the throne. And the angels are giving him certain type of fruit to strengthen his body because his body cannot handle. The closer it get, they get to the throne, the glory of God, he, his body gets weaker and weaker. Even though it's in the spirit, even though it's a vision, he can't move. He starts crawling. He can't walk. And they keep giving this fruit off some trees up there that would give him just enough of a burst of energy to go a little bit further. You can believe it or not. I'm just telling you what he said. One of the most powerful parts of that whole story is he said, I finally made it to the throne of God. And he said, I knew I was at the throne of God. And he said, I was able to barely, listen to this, barely lift my head and I rolled my eyes up. He said, I thought if I'm going to be here, I want to see God. He said, the glory was so strong, I couldn't even move my head beyond this. And he said, I looked up and I saw the feet of God sitting on the throne. And he said, I was able to roll my eyes up and the far furthest I could get was I saw his hand on his knee. And he said, I heard the angels. They were nonstop praising him. 
And you can believe this or not, I'm just telling you what he said. He said, I saw God. What, you, everybody looking at my hand? Everybody look at my hand. He said, I saw God. His, his, his pointer finger flipped just like that. And when he did, he said about 300 angels were slammed against a wall. He said the glory of God was so strong that when he moved his finger, the angels flying in front of him was hit and slammed up against the wall and kept praising God. I'm telling you, we don't even have a fathom uh, uh, in our mind the power of the glory of God. Hey, you know what? I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not going to say he's lying. I believe he's telling the truth. I believe with all my heart the glory of God is so strong that even the backside of God, when he went by Moses in the Old Testament, it, he had to wear a, 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 a veil over his face for days and days and days. He couldn't even let his wife and his kids look at him because the glory was so strong on him, but would have killed him. in the Old Testament. Speaking of the Old Testament, you've heard of Solomon's temple? You ever heard of Solomon's temple? Solomon's temple was, was, one, was one of the most magnificent structures in the history of humanity. Theologians have said that if they rebuilt it to absolute specs of the Old Testament in this day and time, the cost of materials and so forth, and the amount of gold that it would take to overlay all that was overlay that was in there, it would be the first building to ever cost over $1 trillion to build. That's how magnificent this building was. But God didn't even want one. He didn't even want to dwell in a house. He wanted to dwell with man, even in the Old Testament. But he said, you know what? You got dominion. That's what you want, I'll give it. And if, you're, if I'm going to agree to it, if I'm going to agree to a house, even though it's not my perfect will, if I'm going to agree to a place where I can come and sit down in your midst, then you're going to have to do it my way. So he gives them instructions on how to build the temple. One of the most amazing things in all of Scripture. I don't have time to read the whole thing. Go study it yourself in 1 Kings. But 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, describes the construction of this temple. I want you to listen to these words in verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, not built and finished, but while it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Is that unbelievable? Let, let, you, you need to get what I'm saying. I'm saying this temple was built on the top of Mount Moriah, a very high mountain. The quarries for the stones that to this day, of course, when we see the Wailing Wall, that's the remnants of what's called as Herod's Temple. But the, the, rim, the quarry that they used to, for the rocks, the massive rocks for the structure of the temple was not taken from the top of Mount Moriah. It was taken from the sides of Mount Moriah and some of it from the base of Mount Moriah. So we, re we are reading. God said, I want you to come up here on the top of the mountain. And I want you to measure out the dimensions that I tell you. And then I want you to figure in your mind how, how much room you got to work with. Then go back down the mountain. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Halfway the mountain, even the base of the mountain. And start chiseling and, and smoothing all the stones to specs here. And then once you got them the way you're supposed to have them, drag them up the mountain. 
and set them in place. And don't even bring any tools with you. Because if you messed it up up here, you got to take it back down. Because he said, I know it sounds insane, but he's saying, no man-made tools will be heard building my house. Huh? God said, if I'm going to dwell in the temple, even though I know you did it down here, if I'm going to dwell in the temple, if I'm going to sit down in the temple, it ain't going to be what you had to fix on top of the mountain. Because you're going to be lazy down here and not do it to specs and then get up here and try to grind it into place and make it fixed. I'm tired of trying to sit in the middle of your mess that you're trying to fix. When I done told you how it's supposed to be. If you'd have just cut it the way I told you to cut it, you wouldn't have to fix it in my presence. Y'all ain't hearing me. Next thing on your notes is this, God will, will not dwell in a house made solely by man. God will not dwell in a house made solely by man. That's why to get you in trouble, say, you know what? I earned this. I worked for this. I earned this. Can I tell you something? I earned this. I got a right to this. I get up every day and I go to work. I'm the one that my name is on the check. God said, I know your name's on the check, but you know what? Tenth of it is holy unto me. It's called a tithe. And he said, if you want to get real, the whole earth is full of my glory. So if I really want to stake claim to the whole check, I could. But I'm letting you keep 90%. How many knows there's something about the holiness of God? There's something about man, though, that thinks that they got the right to what they do with their hands when it comes to the presence of God. Can I preach right? Something very interesting about that also happened during the building of this temple is the Bible said that not only was there not sound of man putting the temple together, there was a sound, though. There was a sound that was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that was the sound of the Levites, who were uh, from the tribe of Levi, when all the other, uh, uh, the, all the other uh, apostles, or not apostles, but all the other tribes were given their land, Sons of Jacob were given their land. When the Levites' time for inheritance came, they said, your inheritance will be the house of the Lord. Amen. You will live and serve in the house of the Lord. You and your descendants, that's where Aaron came from, the tribe of Levi. So, so the priesthood is your inheritance. So they were singers. They were musicians. So while the people were honing the, honing the stones down here and dragging them up to the top of the mountain, as they're approaching the top of the mountain, they didn't hear hammers, they didn't hear chisels, but they heard, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with His glory. Constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when it was finally completed, can you imagine the frustration of the people down here on the, at the quarry going, like, why do we have to make them down here? It would be so much easier for us to take it almost finished there and finish it on the spot. That's why we got a better covenant based on better promises. Come on, y'all here. Listen to this, listen to this. The dedication of the temple, this is insane, y'all. This is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? 2 Kings chapter 5, I like to read this from the King James Version because this is how I got this revelation. 
So the temple is completed. Not a sound of a chisel or a hammer or a tool of iron was heard at the building of the destruction. The stones were honed together and smoothed at, at the quarry and brought up there. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, praise and worship. Time to dedicate the temple. Time for Solomon, the king, to take possession and dedicate. Verse 6, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, And king, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor um, numbered for multitude. Can you imagine how many lambs that means? How many oxen? The, the messiness and the blood. How many of those you can't come to the presence unless you go through the blood? And the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant. How many knows you can't have the presence of God without the mercy seat? So they had built something called the Holy of Holies, which was the inner part of the tabernacle, of the temple. And it was the place where the Ark would reside. And the Bible says, and the priests, because they were the only ones that was worthy to do it, brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord unto its place, to the oracle of the house, the center of the house, into the most holy place. And watch this. Even under the wings of the cherubims, now, many would read that and think, well, that's talking about the wings of the cherubims on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. That's not speaking of that. When you study it, you'll find that in the Holy of Holies, the place where they would sit the mercy seat, where there was the two angels that would touch each other, and that would be the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It was positioned directly in, inside of two giant golden angels that were, that were designed and created. You watch, look at any video, you watch any uh, diagram of the temple, you'll see these are giant giant angels. I don't remember how tall they were, 15, 20 feet high. And just, it was a replication of the throne and a replication of the mercy seat. Those angels are facing each other and their wings are going over and they're touching. So there's a cover. It's almost like hiding under the shadow of the Almighty. It's like a covering. And the priests walk right under the wings of these golden cherubs and they set it down in the Holy of Holies. For the cherubim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark. And the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof. The staves are the, the poles that they slid in the sides to carry the ark. And they drew out the staves of the ark so that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is until this day. In other words, if you were standing in the room, you could see how man brought them in. But if you leave, and once you leave, once those priests left, no one would ever come back in there again except the high priest once a year. So when you went, walked out and turned around and looked back, you couldn't even see evidence that man had ever brought it in from your perspective. Are you hearing me? There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, which Moses had received from Mount Horeb from the Lord. And it came to pass in verse 11 that when the priests came out of the holy place, they got, they got it, they set it down, and they walked out of the holy place. For all the priests that were present were sanctified. How many of those, you don't go into the holy of holies without a sanctification process. You don't take just, you don't bring, you just don't come in and think you're just going to live any old way and operate in the glory of God. The Levites were also, verse 12, the singers. Somebody shout the singers. We would call it the worship team. They were the worship team. All of them from the, from the land of Asaph. If you read the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll find a bunch of psalms called a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a very widely known songwriter. Asaph, Heman, Jadutham, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, signifying that they had been cleansed. They had their cymbals. They had their psalters. They had their harps. They, and they had their electric guitars and their bass. 
I just want to see if y'all are listening. And they stood at the east end of the altar. And with them was 120 priests sounding with trumpets. 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Make a, make a note of that. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as what? One. To make how many sounds? One sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord that when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, say, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever, that the house was filled with a cloud. Oh, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Even the house of the Lord. And it wasn't there before. It wasn't there when they set the ark down. It wasn't there when they walked out. It wasn't there. The 24 hours a day, seven days a week that they were praising God. Something significant happened when the mercy seat was brought in. It changed the mindset of the Levites. It took everybody's praise to another level when the Holy Ghost was welcomed in. When, when we saw the march in the presence of God. And said, you are welcome here. They were making a place. They were preparing a place for God to sit. You need to prepare a place for God to sit in your house. Mm, Come on. You need to make your house welcome. That's why we say things, Lord, you are welcome in this place. How many knows he's already in this place? But it's different when he hears you say, you are welcome in this place. You can come and sit down with us, Lord. You are welcome in this place. We already know you're here. We just want to make you welcome. We just want you to know we've prepared a place for you. We just want you to know that we got a seat for you, Lord. You are welcome. Just good preaching. They prepared a place for him. And they began to sing. And the Bible said the house was filled with a cloud. Remember, they knew about the cloud. They knew about the glory cloud because they was led through the wilderness by the cloud by day and the fire by night. And the cloud, when it came, watch this, something amazing. When the cloud filled the house, the priest could not stand to minister. By reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now I remember when I first read that first preached it. And I remember the day I was sitting in my little cubbyhole office in the old hay barn. Way, way many years ago. Getting ready to preach this. And I remember reading that going, so they couldn't stand because of the cloud. Because if I hear the word reason in our language, I'll be the, the reason they couldn't stand is the cause of the cloud. And it's so easy to read that. I don't know why the King James did that. I, I wasn't there. I was 1611, y'all. I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. But they use the word reason. And what I've done so many times, back in those days, man, there was no Google. There was no internet. You had to have a big old giant, thick, strong concordance about this big. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You had to look it up, find the number, follow the number. Get the, you had to write all that stuff out. I mean, back then, we really studied we really stay. Now y'all can just say, Google, make me a sermon about the glory of God. Huh? We studied back then. I remember studying, and I remember looking. There's just something about that word reason. I understand the cloud. That's the glory. But what about that word reason? So I looked up that word reason, the old thick, hardcover, red, strongs. I still got in my office right now. Look, it's about to fall apart. It's been used so much. 
And I looked it up and I found that that word reason in the original Hebrew is the word paneum. P-A-N-Y-M, paneum. Now that's the way we say it in Alabama. You may say it differently in Israel, but I say Alabama. It's P-A-N-I-Y-M, excuse me, paneum. And I was shocked when I found out what the word paneum, because I thought it was going to mean because of, reason, because that's the word reason. But for whatever reason, you see what I did there? They chose the word reason, but the word paneum, that is the word reason, is defined as this right here. The face. Go figure. I, I said, wait a minute. I missed, I missed the numbers up. That's not the right number. See, you, you, only strong concordance people know what I'm talking about. I got the wrong number. So I had to go back and make sure I had the right number. I double checked. I had the right number. So the word reason is the face. It is defined as face. And I look back again. I went, oh my Lord. The priest could not stand up to minister because of the face in the cloud. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. That the glory was so powerful and so created when they hit one mind, one accord, one song. There was so much unity. They had made a place for him. They had brought his seat in. They were glorifying him in his house. It was finished. It was overlaid with gold. The, the king was there. Everybody was there in one voice crying out, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. That it was like some sweet uh, uh, perfume to the, no, to the nose of God. So much so that he had to get up from his throne and walk down and stick his face in the place let me tell you something you better know you ain't gonna be able to stand up if he puts his face in the place the priests begin to fall out in the power of God you studied out it ain't just that they staggered they started falling because that's what happened to Isaiah Isaiah big prophet of God you know yeah I'll, I'll prophesy the, the Messiah and all this the moment he gets in the glory woe is me he fall I'm, I'm pathetic I'm an evil man because when you get in the presence of God you understand, you ain't what you thought you were. Your flesh cannot handle the glory of God on its own. So they begin to fall under the power of God. Whoo. I'm telling you, we got a better covenant based on a better promise. What's the similarities? In the Old Testament, the temple. Somebody said the temple. It took the priest to get in one mind and one accord. Mm. Let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. They were all in one place. And in one mind and one accord. Mm. Oh, wait a minute. I think Paul called us a kingdom of priests. So in other words, there was 120 New Testament kingdom priest in the same place. When the priest began to sing the same song and in one voice with one accord and the trumpets began to play the same note. 
The Bible said, and behold, John said, and behold, I saw the Lord. And, and he begins to describe the Lord. And the Bible said, when his voice came out, his voice sounded like a trumpet. Mm. Come on, are you hear me? So we see many times people's voices and trumpets are in similarity. So we have in the Old Testament, 120 trumpets. We have in the New Testament, 120 voices. Come on, somebody. And as they begin to sing in one mind and one accord, oh, remember we got a better covenant based on better promises. The Bible says on this side, when they did that, the house was filled with smoke. I don't know about you, but fall is coming. If you've got leaves in your yard, you might rake them up and you might want to burn them leaves. Well, guess what? You get down below and you light it and you can see a little bit of fire there. But guess what? If everybody else is driving by, they don't even know anything's burning because they don't see any evidence of it until you get a big old piece of cardboard and you start putting a little air on it. Come on. You start blowing on it. And the moment you blow on it, guess what? That little bit of fire underneath those leaves. And all of a sudden, before you ever see the fire, what do you see? smoke. All of a sudden, out of them leaves start bellowing smoke. And everybody can see the smoke, but you know your granddaddy taught you where there's smoke, there is fire. So in the Old Testament, when they begin to sing in one mind and one accord, the fires of the altar in the Old Testament begin to build, but they could only see it as the smoke. They Because they were in the Old Testament. They didn't have access. But you know what? In the New Testament, when we start, when the 120 priests start singing in one mind and one accord, God said, suddenly, somebody shout suddenly. It, didn't, it wasn't no time to do this. Suddenly, out of nowhere, it went from nothing in the room to fire sitting on the top of each of their heads. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And they skipped the smoke and went straight to the fire. Because when they finally got in one accord, it created a glory atmosphere in that upper room where the face came in the place. But it was different because the other ones had to walk through the sticky floor of bulls and goats and lambs that was shed before the, creek, before the Levites could ever get there. But in the New Testament, they didn't have to walk through any of that. They had to walk through the name of Jesus. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. His cousin John the Baptist said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But, so Jesus made those 120 worthy in his name. When they began to praise the Lord. The promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? It's not riches. It's not a new house. It's not a new car. It's His face. You want to you experience the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is His presence. He came down in that upper room and walked with man again the way He did in the garden. Come on, somebody. Get up on your feet and praise Him. Get up on your feet and praise Him right now. All over this house. Woo! Oh, ain't got time to finish your notes. Ain't got time to finish your notes. But I will tell you this. God is don't do anything by mistake. He's intentional. He's into numbers. He's into patterns. Step on that devil. Watch this. Watch this. It's amazing to me. How many of those it would have still been an awesome, awesome story? If in the Old Testament, there was 140 priests and 120 in the New Testament. How many of those still preach? But isn't it amazing that in both outpourings and two different covenants, when the praise of God filled a house in unity, 
There was 120 in both places. One had smoke, one had fire. I've told you this before, but in the Jewish Talmud, which is a writing of Jewish priests that has been handed down from generation to generation, it's not, it's not necessarily biblical, but these are stories, historical accurate stories. Many priests who, who are the high priests over the years have recorded that when they would go in once a year into that holy place and take the blood to, to, to sprinkle on the altar once a year for the sacrifice of the sins of the people of Israel, they would hear... They would hear the breath of a man in the blackness of this room. There was so, it was so dark, you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. They could hear the sound of a man running. <sighs> like it was running towards them in this room. Many of them recorded it in total pitch black. Can you imagine how the fear in that man's heart? But what was happening? <sighs> Blowing the fire. And the Bible said immediately that sound would go from the sound of a man running to the room. It's not the Bible, Bible, but the the Talmud would record. The room would be illuminated completely with so much glory that if the priest was not right with God, he'd be struck dead. Everything that happens in the Acts chapter 2 experience happened in that room in the Old Testament. The biggest difference is only one man got to experience it then. But all humanity... Gets to experience it. Now, this is the illustration I gave you. This is what brings the glory. Can y'all hear this? Can y'all hear this? Do you hear it? Say amen. It's called the C chord. But watch that, might take your job, brother. Go ahead. In the middle of that C chord, there's three different notes C, E, G. How many of those by themselves are really pretty? But it changes everything when you put them together, right? See, some of y'all are a C. Some of y'all was raised in U and E. Some of y'all are G. And you've been singing your own song. Watch this. If you sing, what, what if you went around singing this song all the time? Sounds pretty monotone, don't it? But when you hook up with somebody and agree with somebody like those angels, and you find somebody else to praise with, then all of a sudden you become one accord. That's called a chord. But now watch this. How many of those? This is a pretty note. Right? Pretty. 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 How many of those? There's not an ugly chord on this keyboard. And now listen to this. Oh Lord, I worship you. I worship you. You are so holy. You are so holy. Every note on that keyboard is beautiful. But when they decide to do their own thing and not line up in harmony, it's not conducive to the glory of God. But when you sing together with one song, show me your glory. Come on, let's sing it out loud. Raise your hands. Come on. Show me your glory. Oh, Lord. Show me your glory. 
oh yeah. Show me your glory. Now, now listen to me. Stay in that spirit. I want to show you something. Don't, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's going to sound funny. Some people can't carry a tune in a bucket, right? And I don't mean this, I, I don't know who you are because that sounded beautiful. But in the midst of that, there were some folks singing that can't sing. What I mean by that is you would never be, your gift is not to be up here in the praise team. But you know what? It didn't stop you from singing, did it? Because first of all, the Bible says make a joyful noise, right? But now watch this, so powerful. Second of all, no matter what you sound like, when you're in the group of people singing the same song, nobody can hear you sounding the way you think you sound. See, you're your worst critic. You think, well, I don't need to sing because I can't sing. But when you sing in corporate worship, it's like singing in the shower, man. You are good. Huh? I mean, what I'm talking about. When you're in the shower, man, everybody's good in the shower. The effects, the reverb and everything is like set. There are times I've been in the shower going, why can't the church set the sound system like my shower? <laughs> not, I'm not talking about you, CJ. I'm talking about church in general. Okay, I love you, CJ. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about any church. Right. If we could just mimic that. What I'm trying to say is corporate worship helps you override your self-imposed limitations. It takes you into the presence of God when alone you would never ever believe that you were worthy to be in His presence because you would live in self-condemnation and self-judgment. But when you get in the presence of God like this, you begin to dream and believe anything is possible. That's why we have altar time during worship. Because there's such an atmosphere of glory here in this house during worship that if we didn't do it then, some of y'all would never have the faith to believe that God could do a miracle for your life. But when the glory is here, it just charges your faith in your life. My God, you know what? I'm just going up there. I'm just going up there. I'm just giving my kids to the Lord. I'm just trusting for my marriage today. I'm just going to go ahead and trust for my finances today. Are y'all with me? That's what the glory does.